Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen, top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 74. It is the second week of July 2021. All right, what happened this week? What is happening this week? Uh, let's start with this. NHRA starts the Western Swing this week at Bandemir, Denver, Colorado. Um, man, I, I hate it for the people on the West Coast. They get shorted a little bit, I think, because some teams just don't make the Western Swing because of the cost of that trip. Uh, the PL points it out pretty easily that the West Coast trip is expensive and taxing in other ways, I would say. Uh, therefore, if someone is going to make the decision to make a cut, let's make it right there. And that's too bad. That's too bad for those that race on the West Coast that uh, you know really are passionate about the sport and have these longer hikes to make. Um, it's it's sad for uh, you know the spectators of drag racing. They have to make a longer pull to. Uh, to see it as well so i hate that for them but they are going to get that uh the west coast swing here coming up in the next three weeks what else alex laughlin gets his top fuel license that's a really a good thing he is a marketing machine right now and good for him uh and good for all of us the better he does the more exposure our sport gets that is good for all of us um first of all i think from a marketing side I don't know, but I'm assuming this is kind of how the conversation goes. Hey, man, he's a decent-looking dude. He's aggressive. He's passionate about the sport. And he obviously understands the marketing side from the perspective of the corporations, which is really the key to landing these big deals, Uh, understanding what they can get from that deal. Uh, All of those things that, for Alex, kind of line up and say, hey, these you know, with the fact that he's bootstrapped some deals together, at least that's what it looks like from the outside, and it's pretty impressive. So I'm going to root for him. 
I think that's good for all of us. Uh, what else? Um, oh boy, the Cubans started an actual insurrection. Uh, I guess that's the word. Some of these words get pretty jumbled around these days. Either way, they are rioting down there because the government has turned off electricity, control, you know, to the power and all that stuff. I'm, I'm guessing that's just all to control them further and push, push all their people further and further into poverty. None of that is good, and I hope that doesn't catch on here. Um, what else? Uh, Biden approved the NSA to allow monitoring of our text messages. Okay, that's no good. What else? Oh, a couple of billionaires flew to space. That is nice to see, actually. Uh, that's It's nice to see that the spirit of drag racing lives strong in the ultra elite. I mean, someday I would love to see Jackie Leach not the dude who did the lifestyles of rich and famous like jackie leach could walk us through how the ultra rich design their space race cars i think that would be awesome um and i need an emotional support animal to deal with all of this stuff that's happening in the world today um or or maybe i got a better idea um an emotional support racetrack that's it um i mean hey Statistically speaking, the USA has the lowest amount of racism, sexism, and homophobia that any country in the history of the planet has ever had. On top of that, the amount of racism, sexism, homophobia is at an even lesser percentage at drag strips all across this country. So statistically speaking, a drag strip is the best place to be in the entire world. Bam! It is really a safe place from all of the ugliness of the world. Plus, if you get to a track, you might get to meet and be able to talk to two of our amazing guests this week. Uh, I'm so excited about getting these guests on that we are skipping the long water box burnout this week. And we're just going to do a quick dry hop so we can get this thing staged up. First of all, uh, and first up, Bruce Mullins, he's a PDRA elite top dragster, drag racer, uh, race car painter. Man, he's a, he's a great dude. Excited to have him on. And then we're bringing back Mike Coughlin, the 14-time NHRA national event winner. He's coming back to talk about uh, all the cool things that he has going on right now. Excited to get them both on. So let's do it. Let's get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop, work on that old heap, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's put this thing in the beams. On with us now is a guy who has wheeled almost everything on the planet not filled with nitro. Um, the Michelangelo of drag race cars, paint by Bruce owner, Bruce Mullins. Bruce, how are you today, my man? I'm doing very good. Thank you. Um, you're, you're coming to us from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It is. I like it. Okay. Um, you have put out a few masterpieces here recently, and I'm really excited to have you on to talk about that, but before we do take us way back um when did this addiction slash um career come about with uh painting painting race cars 
Well, it actually started at a very early age. Um, my father got me hooked on on both my addictions, I guess you could say. My <laughs> father, he he drove a super stock car back in the 70s, and he was a body man by trade. And on weekends, his side work was painting race cars. And I just, I would go and hang out because I was just like, my dad's the coolest. Right. So, and as he was doing this, you know, I, I took an interest to it as well as, you know, each year when growing up in Northern Virginia area, they had the Washington DC world of wheels car show. And I would go every year. It was sponsored by Budweiser for several years and so forth. And these cars that had the elaborate paint jobs were just mesmerizing. And then as well as back then, if you remember T-shirt sales at, you know, car shows, uh, Ocean City, Maryland, stuff like that, they always had the airbrush artists. Yep. And I would watch these guys all day long. And, I mean, it was like I was hypnotized. And that's where it all started, uh, probably eight, ten years old. Okay. So you were, uh, were you spraying stuff uh, when you were that age? Uh, I actually learned how to start doing body work and spraying primer at 13 years old. Okay. And when was the first car that you, uh, you, you sprayed? That was probably around... Oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. You know, once again, it was with my father. He was doing side work um, to get money for vacations or racing or whatever we did. And it started out where, like, he would do the body work, and then I would do all the prep work, priming, sanding, have it taped up and ready. And then it evolved into where I was painting, say, just the door jams. And eventually one day he's like, here, you go spray this one. And okay. it just went from there, from yeah, from spraying parts to whole cars, and yeah, it just—I was hooked. It was like a drug. Yeah, yeah. Well, nowadays they'd have him locked up for violating child labor laws, Bruce. But uh, but it is the <laughs> it is the right way, I think, to learn how to do stuff, right? Um, doing doing the the basics and the prep work. It, well, definitely. You know, it's definitely it's a way to start. And I mean, unfortunately kids nowadays, they don't go down those roads. Uh, I have two kids that they're grown adults now, but neither one of them wanted to come in that shop at all. And I, I would ask them, you know, Hey, do you want to come in and help? I'll pay. Nope, nope, nope. They didn't want anything to do with it. So, you know, they went on to do other things in life, but it's a dying trade, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, well then, Talk a little bit about was we'll, I want to get back to that, but I want to hear about you know in that same age range, um, you know what what car were you getting behind the wheel of? Because you've you've wheeled a handful of really cool pieces, so I, I want to hear about uh, maybe the first car you went down the track in. The first race car it was an '86 Camaro, um, but it was basically a legal superstock Camaro. My father was building for himself at the time, and then with the cost of superstock racing and class racing getting so out of hand, and I was coming into it with 16 years old, getting a driver's license. He decided that that was going to be my first race car, to where we put basically 
like a, a little souped up 350 in it and we went to a local drag strip it was eighth mile place and the car ran mid to high sevens in the eighth mile mm-hmm. but it's how i learned to race and then just over the years now also as a kid the other addiction i got was funny cars i okay. just thought that was incredible and in 1980, my father took us to Bristol, Tennessee to watch the IHRA Spring Nationals, and he was actually running in super stock. I made a beeline for the pro pits, and I would stand there as the fuel cars were starting up and the funny cars, and I was just like, I've got to do this. I have to. Right. And eventually, I worked myself up from that Camaro running set mid to high sevens in the eighth to... My first own personal car was a dragster that ran low fives in the eighth, and that was 30-some years ago, and that was pretty quick. Right. So then I actually got, by painting stuff, a friend of mine introduced me to Bunny Burkett, and they had a trailer they were wanting to sell, but they needed a new one painted. Well, we became friends, and I told her about this dream of running a funny car. And she was like, well, I run the the circuit on the East Coast. I could tell you what to do and introduce you to the right people, and she did. And that's how I got into an alcohol funny car. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, And uh, what was that like? I mean, what was that like? Because you were a young kid still at the time, right? Yeah, I was actually, when I got into an alcohol funny car, I wasn't even 30 years old. Um. It was very intimidating when I got it home. I sat in the garage looking at it going, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> right. um, but she introduced me to this one man, Leroy Dudney, who just about has become a second father to me. And he taught me everything about clutches, fuel systems, Hemis, and so forth. And after a, a good, the first couple of years was a little rough trying to learn how to drive one. But then it got to where uh, I was made for it. I was born to drive one of those mm-hmm. because that is, that is the, it's the ultimate rush. I mean, you've got all that power in front of you and you drop a clutch and you've got to shift it twice and you run 250 miles an hour. That is just it's the ultimate rush in my opinion when it comes to a race car yeah it's hard to argue i think right i think it's hard to argue against that i mean and i think the you know a lot of people will tell you that that's the that's the toughest car in all drag racing to drive that it's either an alcohol funny car or a pro stock car those are the the two i think hardest cars because a driver has to do everything still. I mean, I couldn't imagine what a fuel car is like to have to fight and steer. But, you know, you're not allowed any type of auto shifters in right. a pro stock or a funny car. So that's a driver having to let a clutch out manually, you know, not on a button. And you have to watch for a shift light or watch attack, and you have to feel the car and shift the car to where it takes a driver. Right. And I mean, that's why, like, I give Erica Enders all the credit in the world. She, in my opinion, is one of the best drivers out there from watching her in-car cameras and watching her consistency. Yep. Yeah, that the pro stock stuff is about precision, right? And she's as precise as it comes. The The alcohol funny car seems to be a little more um, 
violent and uh, see the pants stuff. Is that accurate in your opinion? Yeah, uh, pretty much because like a, a pro stock car with a 500 inch motor, if you were to short shift it, the run is over. Right. It's done because the the power range and the shift like you have to hit that exact shift point every run. So, and, and shifting a five speed, you know, I couldn't. I, I tried it a few times. Yeah, it's a blast. The staging part is the hardest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for her to do the runs that she does, and when you watch the in-car camera, her nail that shift light, that's that's awesome. An alcohol funny car, you, you're sitting between the tires, so you're trying to feel the car, listen to the motor. Because, like, you may start to feel them tremble. You can short shift second, but then you're going to string second gear out farther than you usually would, say, to make up for it. Sure. So, you know, I mean, those cars, the best years I drove when there was no tack in the car, I was taught to leave the tachometer back on the workbench. Really? Um, okay. We would have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could drive the best drivers out there when I was running with Tony Bartone, Frank Manzo, Bob Newberry, and them. And they were like, you need to learn the, the sound and you need to learn the feel. And basically, you could download the computer, run after run after run, and I was leaving and shifting exactly the same without a, without a shifting aid. That's uh, that's pretty impressive, and certainly uh, gives you a, a, a good um, base for any other class you're going to run, right? Because and you've done it. You've uh, been mountain motor pro stock racing. You've been uh, pro mod racing, and and then the latest thing is top dragster, right? I mean, it, you've you oh, yeah. carry that all that stuff over, right? Well, it does definitely because when you're used to feeling a car, say at 250, and listening to a motor that you're shifting at 10,000 RPM going down the track, when you get into something, say, slower, you can feel that car that much more. Yeah. You know, you have your ear. It's like when they say, okay, if a person loses their sight, their other senses increase. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same way in a race car, in my opinion. That's an interesting take. I, I would agree with you, I think. Um, I don't think I've ever heard it that quite that way, but I like it. I like it, and I do. I think that's, uh, um, you know, the really great racers can do it in different types of cars, and it's because they've, they've got that feel um, from that type of stuff. Well, so with, without, a, a, without, say, a tack or a shift light, and even, you know, even when I went to the screw blower, I, still, I did put a shift light in, but you're since you don't have a tack to watch i mean of course you're watching the groove and keeping the car centered but you're really paying attention to everything else that goes on around you Mm -hmm. i mean i I could get out at the end of a run and the crew would get down there and i'd right away i'd be like it's got too much bass on the clutch or you know it's light on the counterweight and they're like how could you tell i'm like i could hear the counterweight coming in and out going down the track and they're like are you serious? I'm like, mm. yeah, I could hear the motor tug down a little and then it would loosen up and it's like, okay, it doesn't have enough, enough clutch in it. Right. And so you go back to the pits and download the computer and you're like, wow, you could see that the motor was so far above the drive shaft speed. And then, okay, well, it might only need, say, 
six grams of counterweight or four grams of counterweight put on it, but that would be enough that you're you had sensed it. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's uh. That, I mean, I don't want to overuse the term. That's real racing, but I mean that is that is racing, right? I mean, when you the drivers it, are it really, really in control. Is. It really is because, like, when I got into pro mod, that's when converter drives came into play. And the biggest thing that I hate traction control. Yeah. Um, I just I I am so against stuff like traction control because it takes the driver and and the tuner out of the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um. No, it's a it's a great point. That's a that's a really great point. And um that's a really good perspective to it from it as well. Um, you know, just having that base. So so now when you run top dragster, which is what you're doing now, you've you've got a right. pretty good feel whether whether the the uh race pack data tells you at the end of the race or not, right? You've already got that down. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can you can listen to a motor, you, you know, it's you just you've got to you've got to be a driver that pays attention because if you listen to that motor you get out at the end of a run you know exactly what you either missed or hit when it came to the tune-up you know if if you really hear the that thing go down through there and it's crisp and it's setting you in the seat you're like oh yeah we, we got that tune-up but there's times where i've left the start line going down through there and i'm just like oh i got this thing way too rich and you look at the scoreboard when you go through and it's like yep it was a pig (laughs) whereas a a lot of racers you know i mean they go down through there and they get back and they look at their time slip and they're like huh that was a little slow i wonder why Mm -hmm. so you know but it also goes to where i build my own motors you know I, i do most of all my mechanical my maintenance so forth the only things i don't do is like an automatic transmission um when it came to the funny cars i mean i did my own clutches i could rebuild the lankos all that stuff so i could tell you what was wrong if i knew something was wrong right right but you've you've primarily kept it to the paint side here as of late is that is that true yeah, business-wise, I mean, you know, all I do for anybody else is the body and paint work. I don't build motors for anybody. I don't, you know, my local friends, yeah, I've got a lot of friends. They'll, they'll call me and go, hey, this is what my car is doing. What do you think's wrong with it? And I'll give them my opinion. But I don't crew chief for anybody, and I don't do much, you know, any, anything besides painting for other people. Gotcha. Yeah, and you've... You know, I've recently we've seen some of the ones that have rolled out of your shop. Um, Lester Johnson being one. You just painted his new '58 yeah. Corvette, and um, there there certainly are trends, right, in the painting world. Like you know, you talked about um, back in the day that Pro Street type stuff and everything was pastel colors right. and all that stuff. I mean, um, hopefully. Yep. Well, at least in my opinion, hopefully we don't go back to that uh, frame. But is there, is <laughs> I agree, yep. <laughs> um, is there a trend that you see coming around from the paint paint side that is uh, gaining more popularity? Uh, I'd say for at least the past five years, so many of the top sportsmen and pro mod cars are going with, say, a muscle car recreation. Yeah. Um, you know, like. You can all the Camaro Pro mods out there. Most of them, 
they either put the SS stripes on them or some of them may do the hockey stripe, hockey stick stripe on the side. Right. But they're doing, you know, basically the standard muscle car paint jobs on them, which to me I love because, I mean, I grew up in that era. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I do also like the flashy paint. I mean, a lot of my funny cars were very flashy. Um, But, you know, that's kind of the trend nowadays is one and two color paint jobs is all people call about. Okay, yeah. Just the classic, right? Make it look classic and and sharp and um yes but they all want the the emblems airbrush they want all the you know like somebody brings me a new 69 camaro like one i just did um he's like i want every emblem molding the bumpers the grills the lights all airbrushed it's like okay yeah so the car looks like you know a total stock muscle car but then, on the other hand, this one had an all-billet big block Chevy with twin turbos, uh, converter drive, and a Liberty 5-speed in it. Full floating Mark Williams rear. <laughs> this car will probably run in the threes, and it's got steel roof and quarters and so forth. It's been a while since that's been a stock piece, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say probably, you know, like 1980 maybe. Right, right. Yeah, since it's been uh, since it's been forty years since it's been stock, let's let's make it look stock again. You know, but it is but it is right. classic. It is classic, and I get it. Um, I've I've recently kind of went through this, and I really struggled with how how much uh, action I wanted on the paint. You know, and it is. It's easy to right. say it looks good stock, so leave it that way. So um, I am hopeful that I got it right, but I'm not sure I do at this point. So you know, we'll see when it's done, I guess. But uh, yeah, that, that's sure. that's really interesting. One of the things I think that you have done really well, and I've mentioned this on this show before, um, in terms of marketing. I mean, your your work speaks for itself, but you've done a great job on social media, both with Facebook and now with TikTok um, marketing. Yeah, talk talk a little bit about um, you know how you started doing that and and kind of some of the rewards you've you've gotten from Facebook and TikTok. Well, Facebook started out, you know, back 10, 12 years ago, and you might have had 25 or 50 friends. And I started posting pictures of the cars I was painting. And slowly, you know, as people would share them, then I'd start getting more friend requests from people I didn't know, but they were like, hey, I have a car I need painted. Yeah. So... I, you know, and then a lot of people, car nuts were really, I was getting a lot of friends, friend requests from car nuts and restoration people and so forth. And they were like, can you post some in progress pictures? I was like, sure. Okay. And I even had one friend that was like, when you're done, you need to post a beginning and then after picture. Oh, okay. And so I started doing that. Well, then it just snowballed from there to where. Every day, you know, it, it might be, you know, one, two job quotes a week at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, especially it's kind of funny, like days that I post a completed race car, say like Lester Johnson's car. Mm-hmm. I'll post it jokingly like sometime in the afternoon. You can set my phone down and it just nonstop beeps <laughs> of people commenting, sharing 
friend requests, and I usually get two to five, you know, estimate requests within the next couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, and it's just like, you know, here we go. It's time to post the next one. And you just set the phone down and you watch. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, cars like Lester's or I did uh, Randy Lambert's new Outlaw 10.5 Camaro that left last week. And within an hour, I got estimates from guys, hey, you know, my new car is just about done with the chassis shop. I need a price on a two-color paint job and airbrushing. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, great. And that is how, you know, 15 years ago, I was barely putting food on the table to where now I have 10 to 15 jobs on a waiting list at all times. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's all come from... It is. It, it really is because it's all come from social media and how you work it. Yeah. So when people say social media is bad, social media is terrible, social media is whatever you make it. Completely I mean, agree. I, I get people like if I don't post pictures for two or three days, I get messages, hey, what are you working on lately? <laughs> right. You know, and, and when I post a completed project, I get messages. What's the next one? What are you working on next? <laughs> and there's times we're at the racetrack, my girlfriend and I, and somebody comes up to me. They're like, hey, good to meet you. How you doing? I follow you on Facebook. You, you know, your work's incredible. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, can you ride by my trailer and take a look at something? Yeah. And a lot of times it could simply be, you know, hey, I, I need a new hood scoop painted. Sure. Or we go to when we go to a PDRA race, there's a lot of people that come by and they're like, hey, I want to get my car painted this winter. I want to get on your schedule. And that, they might ask me middle of the summer. Okay. Like, I know you're going to get booked up. I want to I want to be on your schedule. And I'll go, well, when's your last race? And they go to the, the PDRA finals. And I go, okay, have it to me the following weekend. They're like, done. Right. No, that's, that's uh, great. I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, it, it is, it's whatever you make it and you've made it good. Um, and for, I think you're a one man shop as well, right? I mean, you don't have a whole crew yeah. of people, right? So, so for you, nope, the, no the, employees whatsoever. Yeah. That makes it, makes it perfect. Um, I have said a couple times on the show that I think TikTok is maybe the most tailor made, uh, social media platform of all for drag racing. Um, what's your take on that? Cause I know you're fairly active on TikTok as well. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I first saw, saw TikTok stuff, um, uh, my girlfriend was showing me like kind of funny videos mm-hmm. and I was at a race the first of last year and it was raining the whole day. I'm just sitting in the trailer and I'm watching TikTok and I'm like, I, I, I want to post a TikTok with like about six or eight of my favorite paint jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went through my photo album and screenshotted a few and posted some music, figured out how to do it. Cause I'm sitting there in the rain with nothing to do. I'm like, okay, how do you even do this first off? <laughs> right. And right. so I went through, I figured that out and then I picked some music and I was like, huh, there we go. So it just kind of went from there and I started getting likes and, comments on it and getting you know i don't followers i guess is what you call them on tiktok sure and it just to where it's like okay so now it's like 
the day that I get finished with a car, it's a total ritual. It's like roll it out in a driveway, and I walk around it and make a one-minute video. And then I take all the pictures, and I post all the pictures on Facebook, and then I go to TikTok. And sometimes as, as I'm leading up to that day, my girlfriend and I will be going, okay, we got to find music for this one. Which one will work for this one? Oh, uh, yeah. And so – you know, she'll be looking on her phone. She's like, well, how about this? And I'm like, well, how about this? And then we end up picking the music to put it to, and we make it and upload it. I love it. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's it, so good for drag racing. I really do. I think because you can have uh, short clips of the race and and then, you know, even a pick back in the pits or whatever it might be. I, I think it's great for our sport because that's what the kids are doing anyway. So we might as well get in front of the kids, I think sure it's out there it doesn't cost us anything why not use it to promote what we love doing right that's exactly right yeah i still haven't um figured out how to make the post myself but uh but i've enjoyed following you and some other people and um you know on tiktok that way and it's uh it it's it's fascinating platform i'll say that is fascinating platform and i think uh yeah it's good for the sport so i'm all about it i'm all about it um sure Hey, you. Well, one, I tell you somebody real quick you might want to look up on there that's great. Um, I just know him from social media is Rob Wedland. Oh, okay. okay. He was Terry McMillan's top fuel crew chief. Mm-hmm. Now, Rob, he posts TikTok videos all the time like, okay, this is how we fix a, a hole in a top fuel block. Right. This is how we do this. This. There's nights I sit there and just watch his videos, and I'm like, wow. And and he'll show how to operate a CNC machine. Um, the other day he posted one. He's putting a new front half on Larry Dixon's top fuel dragster. Yeah, you, it's, so it's interesting. Like, wow, man. this is cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I read something the other day that said that when TikTok figures out their algorithm, their search algorithm are a little bit better because right now right. YouTube has a better search function and so all the how-to okay. videos are on youtube today but the editing functions are easier and better on tiktok and so what this article is saying was that once uh tiktok figures out their search functionality a little bit better essentially it will destroy the youtube market because all the how-to videos will go to tiktok oh, instead boy. of youtube which i thought was fascinating i uh, hadn't put that much into it but you know the techies the people that really follow that stuff were like yeah it's it's almost a certainty at that point because like you said like people like rob can say here's how we do this you can check it out and you know we love that stuff we love the how-to stuff so i I thought it was very very cool and there's a lot of a lot of people getting into the tiktok crazes as well um shoot i've seen airbrush artists on there i've seen pinstripe guys on there so you can find it it's a wide variety let's say it's not what i think tiktok started out as it's definitely blown out of proportion but in good ways yeah well there's certainly um still a fair amount of booty shaking on that i mean there's there's no doubt about that yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna come across that every day there's no doubt about that but there is some really cool stuff as well so um uh um, well listen um couple things before you before you go do you want to talk about i know you've made um a change 
And I don't know if that's for public consumption yet or not on your top dragster. Are you are you ready to talk about what you're going to do with your top dragster here shortly? Sure. Okay. Yeah, most people know. Um, Breaking news. That's Once again, everybody's like asking me, you know, what's up with the new car and so forth. Um, last Over the past winter, Precision Chassis in Pennsylvania built me a brand new car. <clears throat> and to go along with my painting, everything's over the top. Um, or as my girlfriend uses the word bougie, which <laughs> I thought that was, you know, she said she had bougie wheels on her Cadillac when I met her. I thought it was a brand, but that's me. The bourgeoisie, um, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but when I had precision build this car, I wanted a top fuel lookalike. I wanted tall side body, tall windshield big front canard wings which i got from scott weiss and his family off their old top fuel car ah cool well the car had the pro charger set up and my whole thoughts the minute i walked in and looked at this car i'm like it needs a blower it doesn't need a pro charger it needs a blower and everybody was joking ha 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 well unfortunately we had a catastrophic engine failure in may and i decided that i was going to go back to my as everybody calls it, my roots, yep. and put a roots blower on this car for when it comes back out here in a few weeks. So it will have, it'll still have a 532 inch Chevrolet in it, um, but it will have a 1471 SSI high helix blower with the big carbon fiber injector sticking up over the cage. So it is definitely going to be a top fuel lookalike. I like it, um, and and you're gonna run PDRA Top Dragster Elite with that. Is that correct? Yes, yes. It is this car. Last couple of years, when I started running a Pro Charger, the car was running faster than I kind of expected, and I had gone in the quarter already six thirteen at two hundred twenty seven with my older car, and that car wasn't designed to go that fast. So my whole thought process was I want a car that is specifically designed to go, say, 240, 250 miles an hour if it ever did Yeah. for the safety factor and everything. I mean, this car was built with a full floating rear end. It has the titanium head shields on the cage for driver's safety. It is built in a 265-inch wheelbase for safety and for handling. Yep. So it is built to run Elite 16 and PDRA, which PDRA is awesome organization. Yeah. Um, the Franklins who own it, they're really good friends of mine, and we love it. The people, every it's a big racing family. Yeah. Um, occasionally, I'll do some NHRA top dragster because I still love quarter mile. I love going over 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So. There's no feeling like that. You know, when you go over 200, 225 miles an hour and the chutes hit, it's like, yeah, she was riding. So, <laughs> I like this it. This car is, is purposely built for speed. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you for breaking the news. And uh, with that, I have to give you the podcast certification. So, Bruce, I do not give this out very often, but you are BAM podcast certified. That gives you a lot of of a lot of ability to come back whenever you want and talk about whatever you want Um, much like a you know a chassis cert so you are absolutely podcast certified um you know we never know going in but today you got it done guys girls well 
that thank you very much and, and i'd love to come back again no you're you're absolutely welcome um you you've got the certification i love it we had an absolute great conversation um guys girls that was the great bruce mullins if you need him Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, let's start with the NHRA Division Six results. They had a double out west uh, this past week, um, and in top sportsman, really good showing. Twenty-nine cars. Your number one qualifier was Kevin Shearer. He's got a fourteen Camaro, and he goes six sixty-five at. 207 miles an hour for the top spot. Uh, but in the winner's circle, Barry Hobson over Darren Shank. Um, it's a pretty even off the starting line, but Darren has issues, and Barry Hobson runs a dead-on seven for the Winlight and the Wally. On the top dragster side, there were 21 cars. Your number one qualifier was Casey Mila. She goes 6'10 with a 1. Man, just threading it there. Goes 228 miles an hour. And your winner was Gary Devenpeck over Jeff Havens. Havens has a small reaction time advantage, but has issues a little farther down track, allowing the Devenpeck to move around for the win light and his first Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally Trophies. So congrats to Barry Hobson and Gary Devenpeck for winning the first rung of that doubleheader out in D6 land. For the back half of that event, uh, in top sportsman, your number one qualifier is Paul Pittman. He steps it up. He's from Bloomington, Minnesota. He makes the trip out there. And he goes 658-4 at 214 for the top spot. In the final round, it's John Ermish over Paul Mitos. Mitos has a, man, this is a great race. Mitos is has a double O2 reaction time advantage, so two thou there. Ermish runs three thou closer to his dial, and he picks up the win, winning by one thousandth of a second. Um, and man, uh, you know, just one thou at 200 plus mile an hour. Easy win there for John Ermish getting his first Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally Trophy by a thou. Nice work, John. On the top dragster side, Steve Will is your number one qualifier. He goes 614 with a 1 at 231 miles an hour. But your winner is Dan Naylor over Steve Kasner, the Kazman. Naylor, your reigning Division 7 champ. Steve Kasner, your reigning Division 7 runner-up. This was going to be a battle. Uh, you knew it going in. Naylor is 13 to Kasner's 20 on the tree. Naylor is dialed a 6.53, runs a 3 above 56 to Kasner's, what turns out to be 28,000 above. It's a great race. Naylor crosses the finish line by about 17 inches at 200 miles an hour in front. Um, really an amazing, amazing race right there for, on both sides of it. But Dan Naylor gets the wind light and the Wally. All right, let's talk about national championship points races now, I mean, it's early, but it's time to start the discussion. Obviously, the NHRA has a lot of racing to do. The PDRA, the Midwest Top Sportsman, Top or Midwest Drag Racing Series, 
has some catching up to do as well, but the PDRA is shaping up. Um, so let's let's start with them on the PDRA elite top dragster, Michael White and Peter Benduri kind of in the lead, very um, out front there. Robert Pickens is kind of a uh, a far third, so it would probably be Michael White, Peter Maduri. Those two are fighting it out up top. On the elite top sportsman side, Tim Mulner, Erica Coleman, and Cheyenne Stanley in that order. Uh, you heard Erica. You've heard Cheyenne on the show before. They are uh, in a battle, both great racers and Tim Mulner in the lead, but Erica and Cheyenne not far behind. Um, on the regular top dragster side, you heard T.G. Pascal on the episode earlier, and you heard Nick Maloney. Well, guess what? Those are the two guys at the top. T.G. with a pretty good lead, a very commanding lead over Nick Maloney, who's a solid second in top dragster. David Petrovsky is third, uh, but it's a distant third. It's, it's really T.G.'s to lose at this point. Nick Maloney obviously there to take advantage on the top sportsman side, Nick Maloney is in the commanding lead in first as well. So Nick has a chance. Um, he probably needs some help from TG, but uh, Nick has a chance to pull the double there. Would be absolutely amazing. Stacy Hall and Ronnie Proctor uh, both sitting there in case Nick has issues down the stretch. But uh, Nick Maloney, man, um, in a position, uh, solid second behind TG on the top dragster side, Nick Maloney. In top sportsman, a very firm lead there. On the NHRA side, in the national points, Anthony Bertozzi, your former winner last year. He's come out with a vengeance early. Nice lead. Ross Larice, Holden Larice, and Rusty Baxter all sitting there with lots of season left to play. On the top sportsman side, Darian Bosch. Uh, stop me if you've heard this. Former Champion last year, leading the pack now. Dylan Stott and Doug Gerber have lots of time left to make a play. But uh, those are the three up front. Darian Bosch, Dylan Stott, and Doug Gerber. In the Midwest Drag Racing Series, they've had a little bit of struggle with weather and some other things early. So they, their race is just getting started, in my opinion. But in the top dragster side, Chase Huffman is your leader there. Jessica Odkin and... Anita Strasberg, our second and third, respectively, certainly have their eyes on Chase Huffman's uh, lead right now. And then on the top sportsman side, Kelvin Brown is your leader. Michael Chitty and Travis Leach are there as well. But that whole contest is, has a lot more to go in the Midwest side, if you ask me. All right. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot of racing as well. We've got the NHRA Division Three event in Columbus. Um... You, uh, you know, we've got that. We've got the JEG Sports Nationals as well. We've got the PDRA event, their summer shootout in at Virginia Motorsports Park. Uh, we've got the NHRA Nationals in Bandemir Speedway in Denver where they're having top dragster and top sportsmen. And we will probably update the standings again. So uh, that all is there on your half-track report presented by DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone here today, let's welcome back a guy who was on episode number 18. So if you have not heard um, our next guest, stop right now. Do not listen any further. Go back to episode 18 and check him out. This was 
It was a great setup. We are uh, excited to have back a former NHRA Pro Stock Truck National Champion, a former uh, event winner and top sportsman in top dragster in Supercomp. He has won 14 NHRA National event wins, and he's won 15 NHRA Divisional event wins. Welcome back to the show, Mike Coughlin. Mike, how are you today, my man? I'm doing great, Rex. I really appreciate uh, the invite back to the show, and uh, we're uh, looking forward to having a great weekend. Yeah, you've got we've got a great week coming up, um, which is of course Jeg Speed Week with with both uh, the divisional and the regional back to back in Columbus. Um, uh, talk to us a little bit about that and how important that is to to you, to the to your family, and to Jeg's the company. Well, it's it's um, it's something that we've done for a number of years now at our home racetrack at National Trail Raceway, and uh, it's a real big big deal for the company um, and for the sportsman racers alike. Um, there's uh, there's a doubleheader race this weekend. Thursday, Friday, is our Jegs Sports Nationals, which is a kind of like a professional style platform for the sportsman racers, um, and then Saturday, Sunday is the Lucas Oil uh, Series event that we have for our Division Three uh, point system. And uh, both of them are extremely important to all the racers. Um, and this actually is the last race uh, before the JEGS All-Star points are settled uh, on Saturday and Sunday. So we've got a lot going on this weekend. And then, and then uh, tomorrow they're having a test and tune, which we're going to go attend. And also they're having a stock, super stock combination race. So we've got a whole lot going on this weekend at, at National Trail. And uh, Jay Livingston, the fellow who uh, owns National Trail now, is he and his team have done a, a heck of a job, uh, uh, you know, bringing back uh, what was a great racetrack. You know, it's kind of right. suffered through the years. But, but uh, they've really done a nice job, and we are uh, proud to call National Trails our home racetrack, which has been uh, – uh, well, since I started back in the early '80s, and basically been there my whole life, so right, looking well, forward to it, man. And so uh, we're uh, looking forward to having uh, some good racing. Probably have some Jigs associates out, some friends and family, and just try and put on a good effort for them. Yeah, well, there's a couple things I want to unpack there. I'm guessing that's your home track, um, that where you made your first pass. Uh, I think every racer kind of. You know, has a special feeling for their home track. Um, is is that where you made your very first pass down a racetrack? It was, uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 1982. I was a sophomore in high school, and I had a V8 four-speed Chevrolet Monza that my brother Troy and I put together, and uh, that was the first run I ever made down a racetrack personally. Um, of course, you know we. My dad raced for a number of many, many years, and we always uh, ran down on the racetrack in the tow car to pick him up. But me driving, that was the first one. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, yeah, yeah that's uh, and, and like everybody said, everybody remembers that first that first pass. Um, uh, and and certainly, man, that was a that, that must have been a good ride at the time. Yeah, I don't remember the ET and speed, but uh, but the uh, the thrill of staging and the tree coming down and shifting the gears down the racetrack. It, yeah, I was hooked right then. 
Right. <laughs> right. Right. It doesn't it doesn't take long, right? Once uh once you make that first pass, um the the hook is set and and the racing gods have you at that point, I always feel like. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um then on top of that, then being just the you know, the um the place where you first went down, there's just a lot of racing to be done this week, right? I mean there's with uh you said the stock super stock combo, then then, uh, you know, the sports nationals that you guys uh, do such a great job with in the divisional, it's just a lot of racing to get in. Yeah, um, the doubleheader races are really, really kind of unique. I, I, I really like them because there's a lot of action going on. There's not really a lot of downtime where sometimes there is at other races. But, um, you know, being the title right sponsor for the sports nationals is, is always fun. And uh, this particular Lucas Oil Series race is important to us because of the uh the jegs all-star final uh, right. this is the final race for that and we are in a close second in uh, top dragster so we've got a we've got a shot at that um we need to go some rounds but you know it's uh the opportunity is there so we're gonna we're gonna swing for it yeah well I, and i know let's talk a little bit about your top dragster entry right now because i know you are not afraid to try new combinations um, what, uh, what's your combination set up for this weekend? Like, uh, are you still with the blower? Um, yeah, we were still with the, uh, the Fowler F11, uh, root style supercharger. And we still have the CompSync, uh, uh, EFI management system. And we've had that for a couple of years now. And, and we've, we've really got a good combination and we haven't re- we don't really change anything on it other than uh per weather i mean when the weather changes we have to change this or that but uh we've had the same setup now for a couple years and it's really really been good you know we change we play with gearing every now and then depending on and and supercharger pulleys depending on what the weather's doing but other than that we really we really don't change anything we just uh go back and try and keep going right right well you're you're trying to make it easy in top dragster um but we all know that that's that's not it's not an easy class to compete in. I mean, there's just great competitors and and uh, just the the violence that those engines produce. Um, something always you know it's like a it's kind of like a bad uh, you know ex girlfriend or something. It's, it needs a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're they're not. Uh, I always tell people race cars are never finished, especially <laughs> you know we're making a right around right around three thousand horsepower. And sometimes it's tricky to to get it on down to the racetrack and predict the weather and predict an ET and and uh, drive the finish line and it's it's a it's really it is it's difficult. That's kind of what we like about it. It's it's a great challenge and and seeing how these cars are pretty fast. I mean they're really fun to drive too. Right. So <laughs> right. It's it, it's yeah it's 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 a good ride for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, um, and I know that this weekend is especially um, exciting for you and your family. Talk a little bit about uh, your boys and and what's going on with them to start this weekend. Yeah, thanks. My son Jack, uh, he's 20 years old. He's uh, he's going to be a junior at uh, the Ohio State University next year. Uh, he is running a, a Danny Nelson uh, Super Comp dragster this weekend. Uh, he licensed last year and then has been he's been to a couple bracket races over the over the last year but uh this is his nhra debut in supercomp so uh 
Very we're cool. looking forward to that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. He does, he does a nice job. He, he uh, you know, he focuses really well, and I, I do believe he's going to do well. And uh, he loves the dragster. So, and then his his brother is uh, 16 years old, and is going to be a junior at uh, St. Charles Preparatory School uh, next year. And he is running in the Superstock class. He's a door car guy. So, um, he made his license runs last week, and at National Trails, and um, which was which actually was my boy's first trips down the racetrack and the junior dragsters years ago at, uh, at National cool. Trails. Yep. And then, um, so he's running a Superstock C modified Chevy Cobalt, and um, uh, which built by uh, B and B Race Cars, and. Uh, is being tuned and set up by uh, Jeff Taylor, oh, okay. which is also uh, which is also going to be running uh, my brother Jeg's uh, Drag Pack Challenger in the stock eliminator class okay. this weekend. So we got plenty of good racing going on. Uh, Clay did very well at his license runs. You know he's he's never driven anything down a, a, a drag strip except for a junior, and. Um, so it was a big difference for him. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> we, um, he hasn't been uh, the full capacity yet, but he's been in the nine-second range, and uh, uh, we're going to test and tune tomorrow, give him a little bit more power, and have him make some runs, you know, beside another car, which he hasn't done yet. And uh, But uh, he's like Jack, though. He listens real well, and he focuses, and he's 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 uh, – He's he's pretty good with his hands too. He's you know he, he's very mechanically inclined and and actually works on our race shop during the summer, and actually helped put the car together. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So and Jack is too. He's just more. Uh, he um, he he's a car guy as well. Um, he may not be as hands-on as his brother, but that's okay. Um, we've got a lot of good help to help us, and and uh, we're ready for the weekend. Well, I think I think if you can try to record, uh, you know, record that in cockpit um, when he when he goes from because he went from juniors right to now he's going to be pulling the wheels like uh, you know eighteen inches yeah. off the ground. Uh, that may be a, a different feel yeah. for him. Well, you know what's funny about it is his last runs down the track in the junior dragsters was one of our electric ones, oh. so it didn't make any noise at all. Okay, <laughs> so he's going to go. He's going to go from something that sounds makes basically no noise to a uh, engine that shifts about 9800 <laughs> going into high gear <laughs> and so that's a huge difference but he yeah. he really took to it well last week so i'm not real I'm, i mean i'm concerned but i'm not as nervous as i was last week when he was making his runs he he made it he and jack both made it look easy so it's it's going to be a big difference yeah no no doubt well uh, uh that's awesome well uh, I, I wish both those dudes well and uh, excited for both of them to get their careers started. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah, thanks. I am too. That said, uh, Mike, I, I am actually more, maybe more excited to talk to you about what you have going on your head this weekend, which is a, a, a newly painted Eddie Van Halen tribute helmet. Yes, yes, for sure. I've seen pictures. It's um, incredibly cool. Well, thanks, man. I um, Nick Pistura uh, from the Cleveland area, a helmet painter, painted that for us. He does a lot of work for us. Just did a fantastic job. Um, when uh, unfortunately, when 
Eddie passed uh, about that same time, I, I um, my the helmet that I was currently wearing uh, went out of date. Oh, okay. So um, I've got a new uh, a new helmet that I sent to Nick to have in paint, and he asked me, "What do you think you might want on it?" And I thought, well, uh, what better time to do a, a, a tribute helmet to one of my probably one of my well, it is one of my biggest heroes in life with, with Eddie Van Halen. I've always been, uh, since they came out, the first Van Halen song I ever heard was You Really Got Me from, you know, the Kinks remake. So good. And I was, and that was in 1978 when their first album came out, and I was literally blown away by the technique and the style and the sound. And I thought, I can't believe that. I've never heard anything like that before. And, and I've been a big fan ever since. And to me, it didn't matter who was front in the band. I was just, I'm a fan. Right. You know, they've had three singers, and I'm a fan of all of them. So, um, so when it came time to do that, I, I just, you know, I wanted a little bit of Jeg's theme on it, and uh, and some and some Van Halen stuff on it. So, uh, I never got to meet Eddie, but but I sure, you know, wanted to. I got to meet Michael Anthony one time. He's uh, Michael Anthony is a big car guy, and well, Eddie was too, but. Uh -huh. um, Eddie or uh, Michael Anthony was visiting some drag racing friends, um, one being Ron Caps at Pomona, California, at, at the World Finals one year at the Ventura World Finals. Sure. And I got the pleasure to meet Michael, so that was kind of cool. <clears throat> but uh, I've just been a Van Halen fan ever since, and and uh, I still am, and I'm sure that's never going to go away. So. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of kind of what I what I what we were thinking along the lines of that helmet. I just. I had to, I had to pay tribute um, because of the, you know, the size of a fan that I am. So, I just felt nothing more fitting than that one. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, the album 1984 changed my life. I mean, it, it was uh, yeah, I, it was uh, I mean so good, and I I could play that on repeat uh, at all times. Um, yeah, and uh, no, just the he was he was the best of the best in my opinion. I don't think there'll ever be a better guitar player on the um, than Eddie Van Halen. And the fact that he, you know, he created that iconic guitar, that uh, Frankenstein guitar, because he didn't. Yeah, he couldn't. Sure. He couldn't just go buy anything, right? And that's really a drag racer spirit, right there. Like I can't buy it off the showroom. So what I'm gonna right, do? I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it the way I want it, and uh, and then that of course becomes the the all time greatest, most iconic guitar um, in rock and roll history. Um, you know, and I will. So yeah, you've uh, that that was uh, incredibly awesome. I think it's a, a worthwhile tribute, and um, I will tell you that my nephew Marcus would uh, completely agree with that uh, with that tribute because he's a he's a big <laughs> Eddie Van Halen and guitar playing fan as well. Well, but, that's cool. Yeah. Um, 1984 came out when I was a senior in high school, and of course, when you're a senior in high school, you just you know, you think everything, the whole world's yours, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah, that was that, that was a big one for me, too. Yeah. So, I mean, they're all big, but you're right. That one was big for me, too. Yeah, I, so, I can um, still envision the video for Hot for Teacher right now if I if I uh, try yep. a little bit, <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, I think that's when uh, David Lee Roth told Waldo to sit down on the bus. That's it? right. Yeah, that, that was so good. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, um, yeah. No, really good stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited, guys, girls. If you have not 
uh, gone out there. I'll try to get a picture up on on the site of it, uh, on the Fast Bracket site of uh, that helmet here uh, when we release this episode. But it's very very cool, and for all of us guys in this in this age group, I mean, man, if you didn't if you didn't like Van Halen and rock out with that, I, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've even had actually had people try to buy it already. I'm just <laughs> just not for sale. Right, right, yeah, so. no doubt. <clears throat> we'll keep that safe. I mean, keep it uh, you know between the frame or the the uh, rails there, and don't uh, don't ding it up. But uh, that is that is really really good stuff. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I was uh, I was very proud to have Nick do it that way, and very proud to wear it. And, uh, but like you say, I don't want to, I hope I never need it, but at least if I do, I'll have it. So, right. you know, right. Yeah. So it's like wheelie bars and parachutes. You, you always need them, but <laughs> you just want to make sure they're there. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, um, Mike, I appreciate your time. Um, I'm hoping that the weather holds out and we get all that great racing action in this weekend. Um, you know, as I sit in Indianapolis, um, I'm a little nervous, but uh, I know that you guys will will get it done over there if it you know if it's possible at all. Yeah, we're gonna try. Um, you know, the like I mentioned earlier, the, the the guys who run the racetrack now are very very passionate and very prepared to to you know weather the weather the storm and keep the racetrack dry and safe, and they will definitely do it right. And uh, weather permitting, we will definitely get it done. Yeah. We'll go get them this weekend. Looking very forward to it. Yeah, go get them this weekend, and uh, you know, good luck to you and your boys, and uh, and uh, we will we will catch up with you here very very soon. Okay, thanks again for the invitation, Rex. It's always nice to be here. Yep, great to have you guys, girls. That was the great Mike Coughlin. If you need him. Okay, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 74. There it is. There's the wind light and the sweet. Wait a second. Wait a second, producer Chris. I like it. I like what I hear. Yes, little Eddie, little Eddie Van Halen for your listening pleasure. I like it. Nicely done, producer Chris. Heck yes, that is the sweet, sweet sound of the goat, Eddie Van Halen. Nice. All right, that is the perfect way to end this week. We had a great week this week. We talked about how drag racing helps us and is the just a safe place from the world we uh got down with the latest race results and we had two amazing guests on first of all uh bruce mullins the newest podcast certified member of fast brackets nation my man can come back on anytime for whatever reason he wants that is a well-deserved honor nicely done bruce Um, and mike coughlin came on the champ I mean, he's done it on so many levels, and now he's getting his next generation started this weekend. Very, very, very cool stuff. And speaking of cool, how cool is his helmet? That's awesome. All right, if you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know the three ways to get at me. You can get at me on the Facebook page using Messenger. You can find me rocking out to Van Halen. And you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. 
Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Today's episode was brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer manufacture and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality and superior on-track performance Think AFCO Racing Products. Hey Rex, I have to agree 100% that 1984, the album from Van Halen, that changed oh. my life as well. I'm in that boat. Man, it was so good. Like these kids today, they 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 don't they don't have any appreciation for understanding how awesome that album and whole and you know all the music of that era was um you know you also know there's a great story you probably know this chris already but there's a great story about obviously eddie van halen was the guitar riff in the song beat it um by michael jackson right and and the story is he goes in to record that and he lets the rip go and it actually lit the amplifier on fire that's how awesome of a guitar lick it was it lit the amplifier on fire and they couldn't make another take they were like that has to be it because all our stuff's on fire we don't get another take out of this and so he eddie van halen goes into a uh, a record store after beat it is on the record and you know the van halen officiados will already know this but he goes into the record store and it beat it comes on and he's standing there. He asked the kid next to him, he goes, what do you think of this song? And the kid looks at him and he goes, oh, man, that dude is just trying to, he's like an Eddie Van Halen ripoff. So <laughs> the kid didn't know that he was talking to the legend himself at the time. It was, all, you know, very, very cool stuff. And, uh, man, I feel bar bad for the kids today.